Hello, thank you for joining us. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host. And joining me today, as always, is Dan. Dan, how are you today? Good, Gus. I'm experiencing some lag spikes, so if I'm sorry if I'm a little delayed in responding to that. Don't no worries. We'll, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. We'll try to work through the technical difficulties here. Um, Sam, our dear friend Sam, uh, is not here today. He wasn't able to make it. He's taking some time off. But instead, we have two wonderful guests today. Eric, how are you today? I'm doing great, and I can fix all that in post for you. Awesome. Thank you so much for becoming <laughs> our unofficial editor for the rest of the, the lifetime of this podcast. You made a hell of a commitment. We're happy to, to have you be part of the family. And now we have it on recording. Yes, it's, it's a law. It's what is it? A law binding agreement now. Of yeah. course, uh, you could also, edit it out later, technically. Uh, yeah, I could fuck fix all of this. You gave him that power. Shit. <laughs> also joining us today is Nack. Nack, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for so much for joining us. And for those that haven't listened to it already, please check out our Fuck I Forgot to Save gaming podcast. We just recorded for the month of April. So that's out there. Um, go check it out. So let's go ahead and get started, guys. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, so we're going to have to go through some news throughout the month of April. But the most obvious... Um, event that occurred during the month is the verdict of police officer Derek Chauvin uh, for the, well, we can now say even under the the eyes of our justice system, uh, the murder of George Floyd. Um, he was convicted. In fact, he was found guilty on, on all counts, uh, guilty of unintentional second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Um, it was, I'm not sure if the word should be surprising, uh, I don't, I think going through all the evidence that should not have been a, a surprising conviction, in my opinion, but I think going through the history of these kinds of tragic events, it did come off as a, as a pretty surprising mm, uh, conclusion. So let's go around the board here. Um, if you guys can recall, how did you feel, you know, right before the verdict and after the verdict? Um, I, for example, I, was going through a, a bit of an anxious time awaiting the verdict. Uh, and I was, I don't know, again, I, I'm not sure if the right word should be relieved, but there was a sense of, of, of relief knowing that at least in this one instance, I know that it doesn't fix, you know, prior injustices or future injustices that I'm sure are still going to go on. But at least in this one instance, it does feel like there was accountability um, uh, that was uh, addressed and, and he was, you know, it was the right, it was the right result. Uh, so Dak, let's go ahead and start with you. How, how did you feel before and after the conviction? Um, I, so I got home from work just in time to see the, uh, the reading of the verdict live. Um, and so, uh, I was with Jackie, my wife, we were, and, and I think both of us, um, kind of sighed in relief, um, and, you know, it's, I think you, you made a good point. It's like, there's a sense of relief that at least in this instance, um, it, it feels like this is justice. Um, but 
it wasn't, it didn't take too long for me to like go back to thinking like, well, the, the, when you look at the overarching, overarching, like all, all of the, the details in this case, in this event, um, that it was clear as day in the video, overwhelming evidence of exactly what happened that it still went as far as it did. Um, so it didn't take too long for me to feel a little bit disheartened by that. Um, but, but overall I, I was relieved. I do feel like, um, justice was done. And yeah, like you said, this doesn't fix things in the past and this is not necessarily, um, uh, you know, definitely doesn't mean that events like this won't occur again, but at least in this one, in this one case, we can feel somewhat, um, yeah, relieved, I guess. Yeah, agreed. What about you, Eric? If if you can recall, what did what did you feel after um, after the jury came with their verdict? Well, I I was I was relieved as well, um, and I actually want to admit first that before the verdict, I was actually p- pretty pessimistic. I don't know why. I didn't even have a good look at at any details of the of the trial. I didn't see what the jurors looked like or anything, but I had a feeling that he was gonna get away with like a slap on the wrist basically and that didn't happen he got all three and that was awesome it was a it was a surprise and a relief and yeah the the word i kept coming back to also was justice yeah yeah i agree i I think um you know it was the fact that he was found guilty on all three counts that was the real surprise i i honestly in this and I'll be transparent about this. I was thinking that either he was just going to walk, like he was going to be acquitted entirely, or he was going to be convicted of manslaughter, which I, I think is is the the lesser of all three. So I figured it'd be one of those two. So for him to actually be convicted on all counts was the surprise for me. Uh, but again, it was to me the the right decision. Uh, but before I go on, Dan, what about you? How how did you feel after the the verdict? Um, I'll admit I was completely pessimistic up until the moment the verdict was announced. I mean, I, di- I didn't think he would walk because I thought, <clears throat> you know, the the evidence was very stark, I think, to most people. I don't even think you had a lot of right-wing pundits coming out and defending Chauvin directly. They would sort of say indirectly, well, you know, George Floyd was on drugs, etc. You know, it was... It was uh, but they would never never say in and maybe like during the trial, they would say, well, you know, the people commenting on the trial, Maxine Waters and Biden are, are going over the top. And they would they would a lot of pundits would sort of avoid it because, I mean, for the majority of people, what what you saw in the video and what happened was just flat out murder. And there wasn't really a lot of um, uh, nuance or or discussion to be had about it but so I was very pessimistic but I also thought there may be one or two people on it who will just be like no I mean it was a cop in a situation so whatever he did was justified and that's it and so I thought it would be a uh, a mistrial a, a hang jury and I figured they would have to consider retrying him and going through all the stress of the situation and again that was that was like I mean I if I had to put money on it I would have put money on that outcome so it was a it was a, a pleasant surprise that it that it didn't turn out that way I mean I've I've watched a lot of these verdicts over the years um you know um 
before it was even sort of national news, uh, when I when I lived in New York, you'd have a lot of these sort of cases and a lot of stark facts, very stark facts. You'd have cops walking, not, you know, I mean, cops walking off of juries and grand jury in front of grand juries and juries just because they would, you know, be like, well, they would give cops the benefit of the doubt in in declaring, you know, when they were, you know, fearing for their lives. And, and you know, in this situation, of course, Chauvin. Uh, the witnesses, or or I believe some people testified to the fact that, like, because there were some people standing around that Chauvin had some concern about his, like, fear fear for his life. But it, I don't think it was very persuasive, and, and at least it wasn't persuasive to the jury, apparently. But um, it was actually pretty comical from, from the perspective of what the, the weakness of the defense was. But again, yeah, I mean, and the fact that we were surprised says something in and of itself, right? I mean, it was a pretty stark event that happened right um so so the fact that you know still people were expressing doubts about in good faith and in bad faith expressing doubts about whether he would be convicted and then you know people you know tucker carlson for example after the verdict going on and on about how well maxine waters because she commented on it uh you know something that trump did before something that uh uh you know, Bill Clinton did before. I don't think Obama ever did anything uh, like that. Um, you know, Biden commented on it too. Uh, you know, he he said, well, that means it has to be overturned. And even the friggin' judge in the court case, which I thought was kind of amazing, came out and said, well, you know, this is grounds for appeal, which does not sound right to me. <laughs> that, that, that Some comment that some politician made off to the side, especially because the judge chose not to even sequester the jury until the deliberation started, which was, in my opinion, an insane, uh, an insane thing to do in a case like this with uh, so much media coverage. Um, uh, you know, I, I I don't, I don't even understand why the judge would say something like that, because it does, unless I'm not, unless I just completely misunderstand what's going on i i don't see how that's grounds for appeal um or overturning the verdict uh um but yeah that's that's sort of how i felt you know immediately pleasantly surprised but also you know pessimistic about some things uh going forward and yeah 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 and i think that's something we have to keep in mind because this was a very um unusual uh, perhaps like the the circumstances surrounding this whole thing um was pretty overwhelming in favor of the prosecution i mean we had a video of it um thankfully because of that uh, i believe 19 year old girl that decided to record the whole thing and it was just very evident what was done and and that it was it was you know murder in broad daylight um let's let's actually talk about something you touched on dan uh, because i wanted to talk about the trial itself because i did not uh, i'll admit i did not follow it like day to day uh watched every every instance of the trial but every time at the end of the day when i would see a recap or or read a summary or an article of it to me it just felt like every single testimony every single witness that that came on board was just like yeah he did it like he murdered that man it, it was pretty i mean i felt like the prosecution was just In, including a bunch of cops <laughs> a bunch yeah, of, including like, like the chief of police was like yeah chief no, of police, that was not appropriate other cops 
medical experts were were basically just confirming that yeah he died because he was choked to death it wasn't fentanyl it wasn't a heart condition he was choked to death um, and the prosecution just laid out this to me overwhelming case and the defense was really kind of relying on these kind of like very small factors that didn't really pull through so just based on that um, again i'm not a legal expert but just based on that i felt like the the actual verdict itself was a no-brainer it just felt like I wasn't I was I wasn't thinking that was going to happen based on the ugly history of these kinds of cases, uh, and that's where the surprise and the and the relief comes from. But I I wanted to ask you, Dan, like what what did you think about the overall case? What did you think about you know the prosecution um, and their evidence versus how the so, defense laid things out? I thought they did a good job, but. I mean, it was such a long trial, and I get why they did that. Um, you know, maybe they were anticipating a lot more defense of like, well, you know, uh, he did what he had to do uh, in the situation. He feared for his life, and 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 so they laid out like a very very comprehensive case, which was yes, good. But but on the other hand, I mean, it's sort of upsetting that they needed in such a comprehensive case or they felt that they needed such a comprehensive case and they couldn't have just sort of had one day of testimony from experts uh you know or maybe half a day of testimony from experts commenting on the video talking about how it was inappropriate half a day of maybe a day a testimony from individuals who witnessed it and and then i mean that seems open and shut to me i mean I don't know. I mean, I don't know what was going through the jury's mind, but they did. They did. They put on like uh, I forget how long it was, but it was at least uh, a week, right? Of of their primary case, or maybe it was longer than that. But it was, it was. I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it was a good case. Maybe it was a bit over the top, but I understand why they did it. The media coverage was insane. If they had put on a shorter case, even if it was, in my opinion, may have been just as effective. Um, and then got a, another result, uh, they would have been blamed for it. So I understand why they were covering every possible base. But as a you know, as a juror, I might have gotten uh, bored and annoyed <laughs> after. Not and that might not have you know flipped my uh, vote, of course. Uh, but you know, it could change the way that I sort of view the case, right? Um, but that that's sort of my opinion on on the prosecution. Like I think they did a great job, and I'm I'm not in there shoes but you know if i had been there i may have like just done it done a shorter job but then again maybe that may have not you know in in these circumstances maybe they felt like that was not enough to get a conviction i'd be interested in other people's opinions like if you were sitting on that jury i mean i, I just feel like i would have gotten bored not and not to say it wasn't like tragic and everything but it, i would have just gotten bored after a couple of days of sort of ad nauseum the same sort of testimony over and over again well, I mean, on, on that note, I mean, Nack, Eric, do you have any opinions? Did you feel like it went on a little too long? or uh, Because I, I, I kind of favor the case where I feel like the prosecution had to essentially, quote unquote, throw the kitchen sink at this and just not, um, you know, not leave. pull any punches. Yeah, um, not leave anything on the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think I, I think they, they really knew that considering the moment they, they had to go um, really out of their way. But Nack, Eric, did you do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with you, Gus. I think uh, in the in this case in particular, 
like Dan said before, um, with, I mean, this was the, the entire country was watching this unfold. Um, I think having, like you said, laying everything out on the table, um, was, I think probably beneficial to them, uh, to the prosecution. Um, and I didn't, I didn't even, like you said, I didn't even follow it that closely, um, until the last day or so. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that was probably a wise decision. Even if the jurors get bored, like they're maybe they're getting bored, but I don't know if that changes their minds per se. Like, no, it probably wouldn't. Change you know what I mean? Mind. Yeah. Oh, no. It may just leave room for more. Like, I mean, they might start thinking, well, why? I mean, do we, this seems simple. Why do they have five experts to tell us this? Is there maybe. something more going on here? Yeah. But I, again, I don't know if that would really lead anyone to change their mind. Of when it was also stark, so maybe they figured they were just—I <laughs> mean, cover, cover, cover their, cover their ass, you know? Because yeah, yeah. What about you, Eric? I actually wasn't really super like aware of the duration. Well, how long was it? Like three days of the? No, it was the, long. I actually want to say it was around twelve days. I know it was a little bit days. over a week. Yeah, but it was it was a long I, trial. I kind of knew when the trial was like coming up, and then. I wasn't really aware of the whole duration of it, and then I saw the verdict. Um, so I, I, I had no idea it took that long. I thought it was like three or five days. Uh, but I do, I do feel like it's better that they they threw everything they had at it, for sure. I do agree that that effort was. I mean, it was justified, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I felt, uh, based on what I watched, I felt like the prosecution um, did a good thing in relying on both just kind of getting health experts to objectively review the situation and come to the conclusion that George Floyd did die from asphyxiation due to uh, being choked to death. Um, But also there was a lot of emotional appeal in some of the witnesses. Like there was one witness that was just there that watched the, the, the... the, the entire event transfold and he was very emotional. I mean, it was very hard to, to watch that testimony because he was justifiably in tears, you know, trying to, to get out the words to, to describe what he witnessed because what he witnessed was a murder. And when you witness a murder, that's something that stays with you for the rest of your life. So I felt like they had that kind of twofold plan to present both cases, the emotional and the objective case. And I think, I mean, based on on the, the fact that the jury came to a conclusion pretty quickly, and that conclusion was that they, you know, Derek Chauvin was guilty on all counts, felt like it was a successful strategy. Um, what do you guys feel about this going forward? Like, do you actually think there's there will be genuine ca- uh, change in terms of how we view these um, these events of police brutality, and in some cases, you know, where police murders uh, an individual that should not be murdered, do you think there will be more accountability here, or is this just a one-off because it took so much evidence to come to this conclusion? Um, Eric, like, what what do you feel about that? I feel, so, I feel like it sort of sets an example. Maybe mm-hmm. it sort of tells sends it sends a message for sure. That's the hope, right? I mean, that's yeah. the hope that at this point, both you know, jurors, um, future jurors, um, police officers view this and and come to the conclusion that you can't you can't just keep doing this over and over, where these uh, these cops get away with with these kinds of uh, 
cases of brutality and cases of murder. Um, Dan, you mentioned that you were a little bit more pessimistic. So what what do you, what do you feel? How do you feel this is going to affect future cases? Yeah, my my concern is that now it will be the because it is the big case. Now they can say pundits. I don't know pundits, grand juries, prosecutors. They can all think well. Well, this case is different than George Floyd because this guy was on PCP, uh, and that could really be a yeah. danger to the cop. This case is different than George Floyd because, uh, you know, the guy had uh, it was a it was a violent crime, right? It wasn't, you know, it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't a counterfeiting a check. It was it was slightly more violent, so it's different. This case was, you know, that that's my concern. Um, I guess I I think I still think these things, these all of these things, are gonna have to be sort of litigated on a case by case basis, on a society by society basis. <laughs> Unfortunately, not society by society, but on a society wide basis. Like we have are gonna continue to have this discourse about like every single one of these things because that is unfortunately how it's gonna be structured. Is is very you know like what are the fa- what are you know let's get into the facts here who was who was morally culpable in you know our opinion because they were you know they smoked a joint uh 20 minutes before and and you know whatever but uh you know it 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 helps us avoid the taking on like the social <laughs> the the society wide problem uh the society wide issue on a, on a systematic basis if that makes sense um cuz we can say well Look, justice is done. We did it. Um, all right, on to the yeah. next one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's also one of the fears, right? We can't just like pat ourselves on the back just because we came to like the the very minimal, like the least we could do, and just bring accountability on a very like very kind of uh, easy to come to conclusion in the, in this situation because it was pretty evident that murder was committed in this case and it was caught on film and the, the you know the prosecution came up with an overwhelming case um Nack, what about you like what are what are your feelings going forward i think i shared dan's pessimism um i i mean i would like to think that hopefully this is uh if if anything i think the uh, the the main way in which this will affect change is hopefully people just understand now how important it is to film interactions with cops like yeah. if you could point to one thing what's the word i'm looking for the the thing that that was different about this case was the fact that it was filmed from start to finish you know um it was right there clear as day um and so, uh, you know, I hope that people understand how important that is going forward. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, George Floyd, uh, I mean, you know, George Floyd is dead, but at least in this case, his murderer is being brought to justice. I think if there was true justice, George Floyd doesn't die, right? In a world with true justice. But, you know, at the same time in this in the same country we have Brianna Taylor who was murdered uh but in that case there is no justice in my opinion um so i don't know it's it's hard to look at the big picture of the nature of 
policing in America and, and really feel confident or optimistic about the future of things, even though in this one particular case, there was enough. And again, it took overwhelming evidence in this case for justice to be done. So, yeah. Yeah, those are kind of my overall thoughts, too. I feel somewhat mixed about this because, as I mentioned previously, I felt a sense of relief when when um, the verdict was was announced and it was what it was. Uh, but at the same... And you know what? I, I don't want to take away the, the sense of relief and even in some sense joy that a lot of people felt in, in, in seeing this kind of uh, justice and accountability uh, transpiring. Um, I'm sure, especially for communities that have been afflicted by this kind of pain, um, I, I completely understand why in, in this one instance they they feel, you know, relief and and a sense of, of accomplishment when when in this case Derek Chauvin was brought to to justice, or at least was was um, convicted with the right the right verdict, um, but it it shouldn't have taken all of this, right? Like it it in order for us to get justice or the right verdict, it it shouldn't always require um, an insurmountable amount of evidence. Um, we shouldn't the cops shouldn't we shouldn't expect cops to get away with this, which is the case. Like, let's face it. I think all of us had, had a sense of expectation that Derek Chauvin was going to get away with it some way or another, whether he would walk or whether he would be just kind of get, as Eric mentioned, just a slap on the wrist. That's, that's our expectations right now as, uh, as members of citizens of this nation, that that's how we view um, our criminal justice system. Because it is what it is, at least up up until this point, it is what it is. So in order for us to get to a point where, as you mentioned, Nack, for, there is true justice, yeah, not only should this not happen, but we should also get to the point where when a jury comes to this kind of conviction, we shouldn't be like, oh, my God, thank God that finally we got it right. You know, we should just nod our heads and be like, yeah, of course, of course, this this cop is a murderer. Of course, just because he's part of law enforcement does not mean that he's always out there to protect and serve. There are people here that go out of their way to unfortunately cause pain and suffering, and in this case, death uh, upon the people that they're supposed to protect. Um, that's the society we are in right now, and we 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 need to kind of just keep working on it and. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a turning point or not, but we should at the very least use it as, as as something. We should use it as an example of what we can be going forward, but not only what we can be, but, you know, get better than that. Make sure that we at some point in the future, we're in, we're in situations where this just doesn't happen and there's no trial that needs to be conducted because we finally have a system that works and things aren't working right now. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the Biden administration reaching 100 days uh, since he was Joe Biden was inaugurated as president. Um, he gave his um, it was an address to the joint sessions of Congress, um, not to be confused with the State of the Union. Very different. Completely different. <laughs> not at all the same thing. Uh, no, it's basically a State of the Union speech. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about too much about the speech itself. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was something that's going to go into. Um, but it was riveting, wasn't it? Uh, I wouldn't I, I, it. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I did not watch the entire speech, so it may not have been actually riveting. I don't think you missed a whole lot. Didn't I heard that Ted Cruz fell asleep during it? Is that true? 
he got caught on camera looking like he like, was dozing okay. off. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was like, I mean, honestly, like Joe Biden is not the most riveting. Speaker, yeah, no, as, right? as like, much he, a, as much of a piece of shit as Ted Cruz is, I don't think I could blame him for falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, like he's done worse things than that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just like his entire existence was worse right. than that. Yeah. Um, it's we're probably so, better off if he just falls asleep. Yeah, he should do that for the just, rest of his life. Just um, yeah, just keep go- keep going with that. Just, just nice little nap, Ted. Um, so I mean, basically, the main thing about the the speech is that he is proposing the I think two trillion dollar infrastructure plan that we've talked about previously on this podcast, as the as well as the one point eight trillion dollar, uh, um, which he calls the American Families Plan, uh, which puts money into into childcare, into free pre K, as well as free two years of community college. So it essentially extends federal funding for for school from what I think is 13 years right now to overall 13 years to 17 years uh, for uh, for those that go into public public schooling. So, uh, I mean, big ambitious plans. Some will say it's too much. Others will say it's not enough. I think we're all here pretty leftist, right? Eric, what about you? Would you say you're you're pretty on the yeah. left in terms? Yeah, I think so. You're, yeah. You were a Bernie Sanders supporter. Yeah. If I recall. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're all a little bit on the left of the spectrum. Nack, definitely you're, you would consider yourself a leftist. Part yes, of the sir. dirtback left. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dan, you're you're pretty on the I think I'm I'm the uh I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty left too. But I'll go ahead and take the the mantle of the neoliberal uh warmonger here. In I'm this a, podcast. I'm a bit of a policy wonk. Yeah. You're an yeah. Ezra Klein type of I'm an type Ezra of Klein type of liberal, yeah. Um, I, I did hear a lot of coverage of the speech that was like, this was the most, this was radical. And it was like quietly radical because it was so boring. He was <laughs> like, he got up there and read Mao's little red book and <laughs> just very slowly and people fell asleep. But it's I mean that he called for the, you know, to seize the means of production. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when you whisper it, it hits different when you whisper it into the yeah. mic. But uh, people, yeah, people were saying, I mean, this is a lot of policy that's sort of, you know, (laughs) ironically, I guess, you know, far to the left of anything Hillary Clinton ever, ever proposed uh, or ever would have probably come up with. And I don't know if that's um, a reflection of where we are as a party or it might just be a reflection of the post-COVID presidency being a lot less uh, afraid of government, you know offering a helping hand to the people uh mm-hmm. but i don't know what you think about that quietly radical idea i mean not i mean playing devil's advocate if i if i'm a hardcore you know I, I i go back and forth i don't know where my actual policy preferences are but they're definitely on the left side so playing devil's advocate what has joe biden really done for the le- the leftists like the true leftists really i mean mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to um, uh, touch on Nack's thoughts, because I think, Nack, you're, you're probably what, the more critical of Joe Biden uh, among us. Maybe Eric, too, but he's more quiet about it. You're a little bit more vocal on your criticism of Joe Biden. But I wanted to ask you, 
look, based on what Joe Biden has proposed thus far, including all the ugly things about his presidency as well, you know, the military spending, um, the issues with immigration, the issues with his stance on on legalizing marijuana, uh, but also these proposals, as opposed to your expectations when when he was first elected president to now, like, what are your overall thoughts on the Biden administration? Um, I think he's meeting my expectations, right? I don't think he, I don't think I'm not, I mean, I'm certainly not like pleasantly surprised about much of his, I think, I mean, that I think as a teacher, I'm overjoyed to see that he is at least trying to put forth the, is it, wait, so is it the family, the American families plan or whatever that yeah. he said that, yeah, what that, uh, extends I was going to say K through 12, but it's more, more than K through 12. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. I think, um, you know, trying to, there feels like it, it feels like there's this movement for, and I, I don't know if he covered also childcare. Did you say, did you mention that? Like, uh, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's essentially an extension of what they proposed with the COVID uh, relief bill, where right. uh, those those with children under 17 get about $3,600 um, uh, a year. That's just for this year right now. This would extend it through 2025. Okay. It's basically a stealth restoration of the of welfare pre-reform from the 90s, except... Uh, without the work requirements. I think we talked about it on oh, really? the, in the last episode. <laughs> okay. Like almost a month ago now on Fresno Reminder. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so like that, I'm all for that stuff. I think that stuff is fantastic. Um, and yeah, he's, I mean, he's exactly who I thought and knew he was in terms of his attitudes and policies with regard to immigration, uh, military spending, uh, like you mentioned, uh, drug reform and just even just law enforcement in general. Um, it doesn't feel like the changes that I would like to see in this country are going to come from him, uh, which is, which is to answer your question, exactly what I expected. So for the most part, um, this is what I expected. And also to go back to um, kind of like how this is being viewed in the post COVID, uh, you know, we're, I think we're seeing a kind of more acceptance of uh, government help being extended to people in this country. Um, also, I wonder how much of that is just like, well, the pendulum is swinging since the Trump presidency. You know what I mean? Like how much of that is just, yeah, things go the other way when there's another uh, uh, person from the opposing party in power. Does that make sense? Um, it does. But I'm not entirely sure that's necessarily a bad thing per se. Like, no, no, maybe no. Yeah, Joe I'm not Biden is doing it like out of political like a gain, and like he feels like this is the moment. It's not necessarily because he's these are actually his principles. Um, but hell, like if he's gonna look at the left and listen to some of the suggestions, perhaps not all, but he'll listen to some, and he'll actually, you know, in, in terms of his policy, it'll reflect that. I think overall that's that's a good thing as opposed to yeah. just like a principled, quote unquote, principled moderate, which is nothing, right? Like a, a principled centrist is nothing. It's literally like, I just don't want to do this because I want, I want to listen to both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. What do you feel about uh, the first 100 days, Eric? Um, have you, uh, like, is it like that? Has it met your expectations or, or 
surpassed him or not surpassed him? I'm pretty right there with Nack. He hasn't done anything super crazy, super great, except for that 1.9 tri- uh, deal. Uh, but er- yeah, everything's been uh, pretty pretty on par with what he's been about this whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Dan, what about I'm, you? I'm pretty pretty satisfied with what he's done. Right. Go ahead, Dan. Um, I mean, maybe I just didn't have an. I expected him to just take a lurch to the right and be like Bill Clinton or. Yeah, basically govern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with Republicans who, after Trump is gone, they're gonna be normal." But he basically hasn't really done that. I mean, he's like invited them to like meetings, and then he's been like, "Awesome, see you later, guys," and then he just kind of like leaves them out of all subsequent <laughs> calendar invitations. Um, and his policies honestly have been far lefter than I thought they would be. I mean, like. Uh, the the restoration of you know I keep calling it that because it is I feel like it's bit, you know we we talked about it on friendly reminder the child care tax credit uh, restoring a lot of the pre reform welfare um, is pretty remarkable and considering they're going to try to you know it's a gamble but they're going to try to keep it going forever that's that's crazy to me that's that's insane um, like it, I'm talking about insane from like the perspective of my expectations before he was elected, which was like, I'm going to work with Republicans. And part of me was like, that just means I'm going to get all the things Republicans want to get done and then be like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, having it not be that at all and having it be further to the left on a lot of things, you know, the the farm assistance program, uh, the the aid to aid to the small businesses, aid to the municipalities, aid to schools. Um, I you know, maybe, maybe again, maybe I just had worse expectations. I thought all of that would get watered down substantially by Republicans in much the same way Obamacare was watered down. Republicans would just sort of string it along a little bit and then water it down and then wouldn't vote for it. Uh, I still think they're going to do that on stuff if, if given the opportunity, but uh, they didn't, they weren't given the opportunity, at least for these preliminary bills. And I definitely thought that Biden my expectations were that Biden was going to give them the opportunity and it wasn't that so I guess exceeded expectations <laughs> on my point I guess I'm a, I'm a big Joe Biden fan that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say so here's how I would put it um let's say that I was able to uh go back in time and uh meet 2020 um you know January 2020 Gus um well first I'd be like get ready because shit's going to get awful. Uh, but also I would, I would, you know, give them a, uh, these proposals, the 1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, uh, the 1.8 trillion families plan, uh, the $2 trillion infrastructure plan, you know, plans that give direct payments to individuals, give money for those that have children, extend um, public schooling into pre-K and into a free community college for, for two years, um, you know, massive investments in, in electric vehicles and rail, uh, our railroad system, our transportation system, our roads, our highways, et cetera. Um, and I would say that these are, these are the proposals by an anonymous president. Uh, I would think 2020, January 2020, Gus would Bernie probably Sanders. come to two. Yeah, I would say like, wow, I can't believe Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders actually won, won the yeah. election. Or the other thing would be like, 
what is Donald Trump trying to do? Like, is he trying to like get people's like, like win people over before he like changes the constitution so he can be president forever? Like it'd be one of those two. I don't think I would have put Joe Biden as, as the guy that would be proposing this. I would think Joe Biden would be more of the triangulation uh, type of presidency or even the Barack Obama, let's try to get some Republicans on board and we'll water this thing down. Um, not use reconciliation right off the bat. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, he has exceeded my expecta- expectations. Is he perfect or has has an administration been perfect? Absolutely not. I think in terms of, of foreign policy, it's still pretty bad, in my opinion. Um, uh, again, that's just, to me, an, an issue of American imperialism that does go across the board. Like that is an area where I do feel both Democrats and Republicans, even though there are still differences between the two, it's 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 an area where both parties need massive improvements, not just one. But when it comes to domestic policies, I've been pretty, pretty blown away, actually, with what, what he's been able to not only just propose, because two of them are proposals, but one of them is what was actually put into law. Now, obviously, the other two, I want to see how far he's willing to go with reconciliation. Um but on the negative side, I know that he he hasn't taken a stance to kill the filibuster as as hard as I would have liked him to. So, yeah, I mean, some in some areas, I agree with you, Nick. I think either met my expectations uh, or in other areas, I'm a little bit more it's spe- specifically with domestic policy. I'm more with Dan. I honestly did not think Biden was going to do what he's done so far. So that's where I've been pleasantly surprised. So I don't know if that makes sense, if that kind of like alternate time travel storyline puts things into perspective, but that's where I was in 2020 compared to now. But we'll see. I think he needs, he needs to get more done. Like he actually needs to pass these two bills, right? Like it's nice to propose them, but he has to get through Joe Manchin and some of the moderate uh, Democrats and some of the more leftist Democrats that perhaps think more is needed. And I think I would agree that more is needed, but I'll take these two right now if if I if I have to. But yeah, that's the first 100 days of the Biden administration. Oh, a lot more to go. Still, thank God Trump isn't president, guys. Mm-hmm. We can all agree on that, right? Oh yeah. Like, Anyways, uh, Dan, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Matt Gates situation, <laughs> and I'm going to throw this to you because I, you know, I'm looking at some of these allegations, and they're ugly. So why don't you kind of go through with what's going on with with our Republican uh, Congressman look, Matt Gates? Yes. So look, we 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 traffic in facts here on Friendly Reminder. Uh, but sometimes we traffic in just reckless speculation, which is what some of this is going to be. Um, <laughs> so the Daily Beast published a or, or got a hold of a letter and text messages uh, between. Uh, well, how much do you guys know about what's going on with Matt Gates? I, I can lay the groundwork a little bit. Yeah, I think go ahead and do that. I, I'm right. I kind of so, followed it a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> so. Um, a little while ago, it broke that the FBI was looking into whether Gates had uh, trafficked a minor for the purposes of sex. And that is to say, had gotten a 17-year-old and moved her across state lines for the purposes of having sex with her. 
Now, <laughs> Gates came out of the gate with <laughs> Gates came out of the gate uh, with a series of uh, sort of non-denial denials and of conspiracy suggesting that he was being set up by a couple of attorneys who were former DOJ attorneys. A, a very elaborate tale that really uh, posed more questions than it answered, <laughs> which is what, you know, it's it's what you want to do in, in cases like this when you're accused of crime. Just get out there, start saying random stuff. <laughs> Just muddy the, the waters. Just muddy, muddy the waters. waters. Exactly. Um, but this all connects back to a, a Florida. So Gates is a congressman from Florida. He's very tied into the Florida system. Um, this ties back to a local tax assessor named Joel Greenberg who is kind of a scumbag, local Florida guy, who apparently had a pretty good system going where he was basically just, you know, I don't know if he was any sort of Epstein-style sex trafficking professional, but he basically had a series of of college girls that he would pay for sex. And he got Gates in on this scam, right? So, um... So the Daily Beast got this letter from from Joel Greenberg, which is just an amazing. It's an amazing thing to have written. Um, so Roger Stone, uh, who is you know of course friends with these guys, all three of them are are good. They're close. They're compadres. They all are in the sort of Florida, Flo- really corrupt, really uh, gross Florida Republican GOP system. Um, but Roger Stone apparently asked Greenberg to write him a letter um, confessing to all his crimes <laughs> in order to obtain a, a pardon from Trump. Um, maybe a little bit of more unsolicited uh, non-legal advice. If anybody ever asks you to write a letter confessing to all of your crimes, don't do that. Um, you can discuss pardons. Uh, you can talk about pardons, even in letters. But... If Roger Stone ever asks you to write a letter confessing to all of your crimes, definitely don't do that. Because chances are this motherfucker is trying to blackmail you. <laughs> um, so so he wrote this letter and he basically said in the letter, you know, again, this is a letter he was trying to appeal to Trump and ask for a pardon. So in the letter, I, you know, presumably he felt he had to, like, confess to a certain extent. So he said that he had sex with a 17-year-old, which is illegal under Florida law. And he paid for it. He paid her for it. Um, he And he confessed to paying all these other girls who were, he thought were o- over the age of 18 for sex, which is still, by the way, illegal. He can't pay them for sex. But he also said that Matt Gates participated in all of this. Um, <laughs> and that Matt Gates had sex with this girl and paid her to have sex. Um, he said in the letter that he went over and basically yelled at the girl afterwards, which is a super classy thing to do, and, and basically said, you know, how could you lie to us about your age? You know, uh, you could look at how many people's lives you could ruin, and the girl apologized, because, you know, that's that's always nice when, when you can uh, statutorily rape a girl and then <laughs> force her to apologize to you, and then confess it in a letter that you write to the president of the United States. Um, so this this letter came out uh these text messages with stone where they basically very explicitly and again this is one of those things where you're like guys stop writing down your crimes they they very explicitly discuss a $250,000 payment to stone in exchange for <laughs> obtaining a pardon for him which is 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 a crime as you might imagine um but yeah so they're they're 
basically, the scandal continues to unfold. Um, Joel Greenberg is an idiot who apparently was just paying girls for sex on Venmo. So Lord knows there's more texts than emails to come out. And, uh, you know, who knows if he was telling the truth. I at least think that, I mean, it's seemingly in this very, in this basic confession, you know, why would he, why would he be lying, right? If he was thinking, okay, I'm going to fess up to these crimes, which again is a very stupid thing to do, but why would he do it? Yeah. Uh, if there was not some truth to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think Gates has actually come out and denied this specifically. Roger Stone came out and said in a very Roger Stone way, some of this is true and some of this is false. <laughs> and I leave it to you to figure out what it is. He basically said the Daily Beast is publishing cut and paste and some of it's fake. But he would not say what was fake and what was real. So, Which is this thing he says a lot because he lies a lot. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, the Gates situation. Like the Gates update. Now, I'm sure there'll be future updates uh, when more stuff breaks. But yeah. Gates gate. Gates gate. So here's my concern about the whole thing and because i i'm I'm afraid this is going to be an extension of what we experienced in the trump world during the four years that he was president where it's just this bombshell allegation with lots of evidence supporting that it actually happened um you know a lot lots of investigative journalists kind of coming out with more evidence and more evidence and yet somehow uh, it loses steam. It doesn't get disproven. It doesn't get, uh, you know, debunked in any sort of way. Everything points to the fact that this, much like Trump, you know, with his tax returns, uh, with Ukraine and with other situations, like it, it, it's all there. Um, it never gets rejected. And yet somehow the media just kind of moves on. And then the people move on. And Matt Gates stays where he is uh, and nothing happens. Uh I don't know if you guys share that concern, but I feel like since this started, like there was a lot of talk and I've seen less and less of it now. I feel like that's typically what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be like a big scandal. I I honestly did not think this is going to take down Matt Gates unless, um, unless basically he gets arrested, uh, which he should, because he's not, (laughs) which if he did this, yes, he should, but he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, you know, I, he's Matt Gates. He's not going to sh- be shamed into resigning or something like that. Um, so I don't, yeah, and I don't think this is the kind of thing that's going to keep anyone's attention, the media's attention, and, unless something else breaks. Like, <laughs> like then again, Joel Greenberg did write a letter to Roger Stone confessing his crimes. So who knows what other what other magical things Joel Greenberg has. Uh, said and written about Matt Gates, and I'm sure there are a lot of uh, very talented Florida reporters on the ground <laughs> aggressively uh, looking for information on this. But um, you know, I, I don't. You know, it's more more to me. It's 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 more like a mild amusement to me in the in the sense that, like, look how like unbelievably corrupt this this local tax official was, and how he had Gates just looped in on his crimes all along, and and yeah. Republicans are just going to turn the other cheek on it, I guess. Although it's it's a little unclear on that because not many Republicans in Congress really like Matt Gates. Apparently, they're not big fans. They don't like Ted Cruz either, but he's still there. True. Um, I don't know. I, I 
I've mentioned this before, but I always keep going back to the situation with um, Congresswoman Katie. Um, was it Katie Hill? Is that her name? Um, or is her name where she had yes. to resign because of, of uh, essentially revenge porn coming out um, yes. and was released by her ex-boyfriend. Uh, and she resigned because of that. She resigned Congress, not just not just a, a committee she was in. She left her position. And, I'll, you know, uh, to, to be truthful, some of it was because she was pressured by Democratic leadership. And yet this happens. Um, these very disturbing allegations. I understand, you know, their allegations and, and, and Matt Gates has the right to deny them. And then an investigation can occur to, to see what, what is actually the truth. But he's currently in the committee on the judiciary right now. At the very least, the Republicans should force him to step down from that until this investigation is over. But of course, they're not. Of course they're not. And, you know, the, it, uh, in that case, it should be on the media's responsibility to constantly pressure them and constantly ha be, have this be on the line in the limelight. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to move on. And because of that, the American public is going to move on too. I just want to add that Stone asked for $250,000 in the form of Bitcoin, I guess, to cover it up. But he did that in the text message. So... <laughs> Sorry, oh, these people are idiots. <laughs> Fuck them. Oh my gosh. Uh, Nakarag, do you guys have any other thoughts on this whole situation? This whole clusterfuck? It is a clusterfuck. I really didn't know much about it. Um, I mean, I, I saw stuff flying around on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, I, do I think anything will come of it? I think I'm with, uh, I forget who. Gus or Dan, whichever of you said, if he's arrested, obviously this will kind of blow up into a bigger deal. But yeah, it already feels like it's losing steam. So we'll see if anything actually. I do want to point out how, even if this isn't a crime, how gross it is that they were, even if they just did the stuff that was legal, how kind of gross it was that they were like 35 year old congressmen paying uh, girls gas money, rent, partial tuition payments. Uh, for sex, I mean, the in 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 the form of Venmo and Cash App payment, it's just all very seedy, gross, tag, man. It's yeah. disgusting. Okay, well, let's go ahead and end it there, guys. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Knack, thanks for coming back. Of course, thanks for having me. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, thank you so much for having me. We look forward to your lifetime commitment as Friendly Reminder Editor. <laughs> and to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, we're probably moving away from um, a weekly Friendly Reminder just to a more periodical Friendly Reminder going forward. Maybe in the future, we'll go back to weekly episodes. Uh, but for the time being, I want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to listen to us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Friendly Reminder.